verse 37. Brethren, let us hear the word of God. And the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. May the Lord bless the reading of this precious word. Brethren, how is it that the Creator of heaven and earth can stand before His creatures and be the object of their disbelief? How is that possible? How is it that men can see the miracles of God set before their eyes over and over? The healing of the sick, Later in John's Gospel, even the raising of the dead, and yet stir only the ire and the fury of those He came to bless. How is it then the Lord, that the Lord can stand before the only nation on the planet that had the written revelation of God And it not only did not abide in them, but they could not recognize the object of which it was written. How is that possible? Well, we have been studying the testimony of God's Word regarding the radical depravity of man. Our first study guided us through some of the most important passages in Scripture describing describing man's depravity. <clears throat> and we take up that subject again this evening. A radical depravity is the doctrine that the pollution of sin has reached to the very core of man's being. Every aspect of man's being has been contaminated by sin. Now, following this, we considered the doctrine of original sin. And when we say original sin, I remind you, we do not mean the first sin committed, but the result of the first sin. When we speak of original sin, we're not talking about the very act that Adam did, but the results in his descendants because of that sin. The fact that he passed on from generation to generation his fallen condition. Adam was the father of the human race. When he committed the first sin, he was separated spiritually from God. And that dark and sinful nature has passed on to every ancestor of Adam. And this is why men love darkness rather than light. They are born with the sinful condition passed on to them by their father Adam. That's original sin. In other words, we don't become sinners by sinning. We sin because we are born 
sinners, and that because of our father, Adam. Then <clears throat> we considered man's spiritual inability. Because man is dead in trespasses and sins, his understanding darkened, his heart deceitful, desperately wicked, full of evil and madness, and, <clears throat> and that from which all his evil thoughts and acts proceed, and every imagination of his thoughts evil continually from his youth. He is unable and unwilling to do what God requires. <clears throat> now this is sometimes referred to as total inability. So that brings us tonight to the subject that all of this finally rests in, <clears throat> the subject of man's will. Man's will. <clears throat> Brethren, there's probably only two or three subjects which uh, immediately spark so much controversy or as much controversy as the issue of man's will. There are a couple of others that we could probably bring up, but this certainly... Uh, is right near the top if it's not the top. Why that? Well, of course, if everyone remembers where we started the study, there are only two religions in this world, man-centered and God-centered. Man-centered religion must, must have the final say. And that is because it was all spawned in the garden by the lies of Satan. Ye shall be as gods. Therefore men exalt their wills. <clears throat> I'll have some quotes for you regarding that in the next week or so. We're not going to uh, we're not going to be looking at the objections to the doctrine that I will set before you this evening. And that will come in the next week or two. But but when you begin to read, brethren, what men say, even in their systematic theologies, you ultimately find that this issue of the will lies at the heart of the whole difference between God-centered religion and man-centered religion. Compounding the difficulties of this is that often those who hold to the, the radical depravity of man often pervert or misunderstand their own doctrine. And they become vehement in the terms that they use, uh, which often uh, gives those who disagree with us good reason to. So we want to be as careful and as clear about this subject as the Lord will grant us to be. <clears throat> Let me say a couple of things right at the beginning. you will be surprised to open up our confession of faith and see that the chapter regarding man's will is entitled Of Free Will. Now, there are a lot of people who, holding the uh, fiercely to the doctrine of grace, see that and can't believe it. And then they open up 
Calvin's Institute, and C. Calvin used the word regarding man's free will. And they realized. And it is because <clears throat> it's one thing to use terminology. It's another thing to define that terminology. I'm not afraid to use in the proper circles where I think I will be understood the term free will, though I have largely dropped it out of my vocabulary for the very reason that the reformers began to turn away from it as well. Because of the way it is normally viewed, it becomes too confusing. <clears throat> but I, I begin by saying, if someone were to come to us and say, do you all believe in free will? We actually have a confessional, a confessional reason to say, sure do. <laughs> that, of course, would convey to them something that we don't mean. But brethren, the term itself, not being found in the scriptures, is one that must be carefully and clearly then, biblically defined. Those that disagree with us think that they have the upper hand, and yet uh, we think that they simply have not understood the scriptures regarding this matter. <clears throat> Next thing I want to say is that when we talk about the issue of free will and the fact that we don't believe that man has a free will in the way it's normally understood in modern Christianity. We are not saying that man has no will. And that's vital. We are not saying that man's will has been obliterated and the image of God erased from man. Uh... One of the men that has wrote, uh, written a book, a very popular book, against the doctrine of grace just recently uh, says that uh, we believe that, that man's will is obliterated. Oh, that's ridiculous. We don't believe any such thing. <clears throat> We're going to talk about what we do think about man's will. But man is a willful creature. You have a will. And you are exercising it uh, every moment of your life, one way or another, in the things you choose or the things you refuse. Even a refusal is a choice not to have something. You're choosing all the time. You have a will. <clears throat> Another thing I'm going to say we do not believe that men are robots. Because we believe that God is sovereign and that He rules over all things, we do not believe that He works in man all of His works. And there is a difference between ruling over them and ordaining them. And saying that men are robots. We don't believe that God is pulling the strings <clears throat> when someone robs a bank as such. They're doing exactly what they want to do and they're fulfilling God's ultimate purpose whether they realize it or not. But they're doing what they will to do. Okay? Now I trust you're with me and we'll start taking a look at the Word of God regarding this subject.
vitally important, brethren, that we learn to be careful about what we believe. And I, every time I go back through these things, I, I seek the Lord for more sharpening. And uh, these are very complex issues. These are not something that, uh, these are, or, or these are not issues that uh, discussions over them are won by simply spitting out a couple of proof texts. Because the, we're dealing with God, who is infinite, and we're dealing with ourselves, created in the image of God, with fallen minds. Oh, brethren, we must be cautious and careful. While we do not agree with those who go about exalting man's, quote, free will, we must not be, like many who believe in God's sovereign grace, uh, exampled by uh, a dear brother of mine who said once, he was boasting about this, and we had to have a conversation after this, he said, yeah, I was talking to this fellow, and we were talking about the things of Christ, and and I was telling him all about the gospel, but I told him, I said, you don't even, you don't even have a free will, so don't even try to believe. Our brethren, there are people that think that way who hold the doctrines that we're holding. This is error. This is not what these doctrines mean. And it's certainly not preaching the gospel to tell someone, either number one, go home and figure out if you're the elect, or number two, uh, well, you can't even believe, so stop trying. We have every reason to be criticized if that were actually what these doctrines mean. Because they would be out of the line of Scripture. So when we come to the issue of the will, it's complex because we can't see a will. We can't take it out like a, a gallbladder and put it on the table and study it under a microscope. We cannot see the will. We cannot see the soul. And while the scriptures are much taken up with it, there aren't as many direct passages as at first we might think there are. So we must reason, we must pray, we must compare scripture with scripture and think carefully through these matters. First of all, when we talk about the will then, the will is the power of the soul. It's that power of the soul which, which self-determines. It inclines. It chooses. Now when we say free will, and as I said, our very confession begins a chapter on the will with the very title of free will. That's exactly what it means that the will of man is free in this sense. It is free to be what it is. It is not free to be what it cannot be. What it is not. Here's what I mean by that. A fish is free to be a fish, but he's not free to be up on the shore. He dies there. A bird is free to be a bird. That's what he is. He flies around. He flaps his wings. He rides the currents of the air. But if you put him underwater and hold him underwater, I know there are some diving birds, but if you keep him under there, this is not what he is. This is not his habitat. This is not what he was made to be. 
He's not free to be something that he isn't. Man was created in the image of God and therefore we are volitional characters. We have a will. And we are to make choices with that will. The problem enters with the fall of Adam and what that has made us to be. You still have a will. Parents, you know your children have wills, don't you? You tell them to do a particular thing and they do something else. (laughs) Why did they do that? Because of their wills. We're not saying that men do not have choices to make. What we are saying is that by the fall and by our sinful natures, our, our sinful, corrupted wills will not and cannot do what is necessary for us to be saved. We're free to be what we are and we show that freedom every day by living the way we want to. As sinners. Even then, that is within the overriding rule of God. There is no question about that, but there is still rule. Now, We want to consider the testimony in Scripture regarding God. Just looking at a couple of these particular passages regarding the issue of the will. 1 Peter 4, verse 3 says this, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. Now what is that? What was that will? How was it that we lived in time past when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries? This is what man wills to be when left to himself. Ephesians chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation or our lifestyle in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. The word desire there is the same word that was uh, translated the will, the will of the Gentiles. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature. Children of wrath. Brethren, Paul is telling us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the same thing that Peter is. That man lives according to his will. He lives every day making choices. He exercises his will. But that will is against the things of God. Why is that? Well, we've been looking at passages, one after another, regarding this. But we want to take a few moments and refresh ourselves as we come into this, because now we're going to take passages we've looked at and apply them to the issue of man's will. This very passage of Ephesians 2, You hath he quickened, and you 
hath he quickened. Now what does the word quicken mean? It means to make alive. You saints at Ephesus, you Christians are now alive. You were not at one time, spiritually speaking. He says, who were dead in trespasses and sins. We've seen this now, we've repeated it for a couple of weeks. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. How did you walk? According to your own flesh, your own desires, the things that the world does. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Brethren, if in our hearts and in our minds we are dead, spiritually separated from God, so that we must be made alive, then that is saying something about intrinsically about what we are in our spirit. And what we are in our spirit directly affects what we will by our spirits. Your will is not something that dangles around outside of you. It's not, it's not something uh, apart from you. It is you. It is the expression of who and what you are. The will is intimately tied to what you are in your soul. And if your soul is separated from God, where does that leave the will? It's operative, but it will always seek out what satisfies the flesh and the mind. This is why Paul says, you were dead and this is the way you lived. Brethren, this is why we do what we do. This is why the world is the way it is. This is why men and women and children in the light of truth in the light of what is right, choose the very opposite. The very text that we began with. God incarnate stands before those who have filled their minds and hearts with the Scriptures of God, and yet burning within them is a murderous rage to destroy Him. They don't understand His Word. It doesn't dwell within them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the very one that is the object of Scripture stands before them as the object of their hatred. Why? Because their souls are dead, separated from God. And that is why their wills were set upon destroying Him, rather than on bowing to Him and worshiping Him. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Alright you Ephesians, you were, you are Gentiles, you were pagans, wicked sinners, bound up in darkness, dead in trespasses and sins, living under slavery to Satan. But now you're alive in Christ. He then commands them, don't walk anymore like the Gentiles. 
Brethren, that's an act of will. He's directing his command to their wills. And he is now telling those who are quickened, alive in Christ, to exercise their wills differently than the other Gentiles. They're exercising their wills. The Gentiles are exercising, the lost Gentiles are exercising their wills. Why are the other Gentiles living a different way? Well, here it is. The vanity of their mind. The vanity of their mind. The emptiness, the futility of their mind. Having the understanding darkened. Brethren, you cannot make a choice without a proper understanding of things. Some people look at issues, make decisions just like that. Others of us labor and struggle and look and try to add a little more information and try to get a bigger picture or... However, some people can see the big picture very quickly. Taking your time doesn't necessarily mean you're doing it right. <laughs> and doing it quickly doesn't necessarily mean you're doing it wrong. But the point is, we have to understand. We've got to grasp so that our minds can choose. So that they can come to the resolution and say, we'll go this way or we'll go that way. What's the point? If their understanding is darkened from the things of God... They cannot, they will not choose the things of God. Not His way. They may have an outward conformity to it, but not a heart desirous to do it out of love for Christ. When men live with darkened hearts, or their understanding darkened, and their minds vain, alienated from the life of God. This is what gives understanding, to be one with God. Alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. But then how many of you have ever been able to make a really good decision when you're completely ignorant of the issue? How does your will go? See, the will is not something unaffected by everything that you are. And if your mind is darkened, your understanding is darkened, it's futile, vain, empty, alienated from God, bound up by your wicked desires, then what we're saying is that the will, though operative, is bound. It is free to be what it is, but it is not free to choose what is right as God would have it. Who being past feeling have given themselves over into lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Living in wickedness and in darkness, uncleanness and greediness. This are, these are all acts of the will. A will that is very much alive as far as uh, operation, but dead in the sense that it's separated from God and therefore unable to choose as God commands it to. You see, this is where these verses that we've looked at thus far are so important, or why they are so important. 
Jeremiah 17:9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Brethren, if the heart is desperately wicked and a man cannot even understand the depths of his own wickedness and rebellion, he will not, he cannot, in that dark deception, choose as God has commanded him to. Mark 7.21 For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. This is what men are free to be. This is what naturally pours out of this deceived, misunderstanding heart. Evil thoughts. Not good ones. Evil thoughts. You say, well, you know, even lost men do good things. Right, but they will never do them for the right reasons. And though they may still be good to us, we may find good results from them, those things are still sinful before God. Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within. This is what the heart is. And this is what the will desires. It doesn't mean that men always pursue what's in their minds externally. Very often they'd like to, but they're unable to in God's providence. But they're still seeking it in their hearts. Remember the sins of the flesh and of the mind. In Colossians it tells us that we're alienated from God because of the sins of our minds. Paul tells us again in Romans 8, 7, the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. It is set in hostility against God. What will a will attached to a blind, hostile Mind, choose. First Corinthians two fourteen. The nature, excuse me, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can. Neither can, as we talked last week about man's inability, neither can he know them because they are, they are spiritually discerned. If men are dead in their trespasses and sins, then they cannot spiritually discern. If they cannot spiritually discern, then spiritual things to them are foolishness. What will a mind hostile against God and convinced that spiritual things uh, that spiritual things are foolish what will it choose what will it choose what can it possibly choose it'll do its own thing brethren that's why you see people and this is a heartbreaking experience I've now been around long enough to see this too many times for my own 
desire. You see people that will come and they'll hear the truth and they seem interested. And they like what they're hearing. Very often, perhaps they're going through a great trial, great difficulties. They're looking for something. They're, they're in trouble. They're, they're, misery. they're in misery. They're suffering somewhere or another and, and they want to feel better and they hear the things that you're saying. And they come and they, they like the talk of the, the, the sovereignty of God. They like the talk of a God of love. They like the talk of sins being forgiven. They hear all these things and it sounds so wonderful. And they seem attracted to it. And they, they seem to want it. They seem to embrace it. And then in time, they go back to what they were. The Scriptures speak of this. And we see it worked out before us. Why? Unless a man has a heart made new and set free, it can never truly embrace those truths. Oh, the mind can hear them and, and seem to have no argument with them. But when it comes to actually finally living, they find it a drudgery. All of a sudden, religion becomes for them simply, well, I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't have any fun. Because they're not satisfied with spiritual things. And because they do not have a heart that's been changed, that will ultimately goes back to what it's always desired. Brethren, in the sense of men choosing Christ, His will is not free. It is bound by His sinful heart desires. It is chained up by His wicked, sinful darkness. And He'll go right on using that mind and using that will day by day, doing just what He wants to do. The best of His ability. But He will never come to Christ. Man's will is free to be what it is. Bound in darkness. And we make choices all the time. Yes, those are ultimately ruled over by the God of heaven and earth. But within His sovereign and wise purpose, He has ordained that men of their own volition make decisions. Turn to Acts chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 26, The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, and against His Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, and the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. 
Now, brethren, God's eternal purpose was for His Holy Son to be nailed to the cross of Calvary. Before God ever said, let there be light, before He ever created the heavens and the earth, His very purpose was that He would die at the hands of His tormentors at exactly the moment, exactly the hour that He had, that he had purposed from before the foundation of the world. Every single person involved was doing what he wanted to do. Herod, Pilate, Judas, they made those decisions. And yet, they were fulfilling the wise and holy purpose of God. You say, explain all that. I can't explain all that. No preacher from the beginning of, of the, this world until the end of the world will be able to explain how God rules and overrules in the, per, in, the, in the lives of men. We have the clear declaration of Scripture that it is so. I've read enough books uh, to make myself dizzy attempting to... Because I like details and I like things to all be worked out and I want to see how that theology just completely works its way out. And brethren, the secret things belong to the Lord. And the things that are revealed, revealed to us and to our children. So that we might walk in His law. That we might walk in His Word. He's told us what we must know. He rules. He's also told us beyond any question that men are responsible for their acts. They have wills and they act according to the desires of their heart. And yet, He always brings to pass His wise and holy purpose. What hope do men have in this condition? To hear that there's a risen Savior and yet to be bound. Brethren, our hope is the grace of God. The grace of God that the power of the Holy Spirit would fall upon men and upon women and upon children and give them eyes to see and ears to hear. That's the grace of God. In modern Christianity, the grace of God is God didn't have to put His Son on the cross, but He did anyway. That's grace. That's their unmerited favor. Well, that's certainly included. Brethren, as we read this book, the grace of God is His mercy and power coming to apply the salvation won by Christ on that cross to the hearts of His dear people. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, your very faith is part of His workmanship. He opens the eyes. He opens the ears. He opens the heart so that we might exercise our wills in repentance and in faith. God doesn't repent for you and will never repent for you. You will repent. But it is because in that glorious liberty of the power of the Holy Spirit working in the life of the believer. He will repent of his sins. He will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Man's hope, from beginning to end, always has been and always will be, the grace of our God. The men that stood before the Lord Jesus in John 5 could hear a voice, but it wasn't the voice of their God. To them, they looked upon a frame, and a man certainly couldn't be God. To them, and in their darkness, even though their minds were full of Scripture, they could look upon Him whom they cried out in murderous rage against. Because their wills were bound in darkness. Him ye believe not. You say, well then, wait a minute, what do we do? How do what's, what's the end of all of this? Brethren, it is God who moves by His Spirit. We do not know how and when He will. He has told us to preach the truth. And them that repent and believe will have life. And as they learn to walk with their Lord and read His Word, they will come to recognize that the very faith with which they believe, the very faith with which they believed, was the gift of God's grace. Let's pray. Father, we can... We can command men in the name of Christ to believe with a clear heart, with an open conscience, because we know that when you open the heart, they will. They will. We don't know when they will. We do not know who. We go as you've commanded us and preach that gospel which they believe. Father, we are well aware there are great mysteries in these things. We can look at our passages over and over and the glory and beauty of that mystery grows grander and deeper. Oh, Father, men left to themselves would never believe You. And they do not. How glorious that you come in grace and raise men from the dead. Thank you for your mercies in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail 
at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.